0: It's been more than a hundred days since terrifying violence broke out in the one-time British colony of Sudan where opposing military factions have been warring for supremacy and citizens are caught in the crossfire. Millions of people have been displaced and are going hungry. Thousands have been killed. Efforts to broker a ceasefire so far have failed. Earlier this year, we brought you an episode about South Sudan, which broke off from the North in 2001 after two decades of civil war. And while the South is relatively calm right now, hope for freedom and liberty there remains scant. Well, today we're replaying that episode featuring a South Sudanese musician and activist and a guest host from Sudan who helps put the history of this troubled region in context. That's coming right up. Hello, I'm Steve Parks. And I'm Amel Gorani, And from the University of
1: Virginia's Karst Institute, this is Democracy in Danger.
2: Steve, thank you so much for inviting me to guest host the show with you today.
1: It's a, it's a real pleasure. Uh, Will and Steve have turned things over to us this week so we can have another conversation with an international global advocate who's working for change in his country, the South Sudanese musician Manasseh Mathian.
2: Manasa has been singing for freedom, justice, and peace in his homeland for the past two decades. Like so many people from Sudan, especially from the South, he fled as a child during the devastating civil war that tore the country apart.
3: Our family moved to Kenya in December of 1991.
2: And although in Nairobi he was safe from the violence, it was not an easy time.
3: Growing up in Kenya, um, in school, I always got reminded that I am a foreigner. The students will always call me refugee or uh, blackie. <laughs> uh, but um, I got to learn to be a fighter from early on. <laughs> and uh, that helped me really to uh, defend myself and uh, get the respect of my fellow students. Nothing will me.
2: Manasseh got tough, but that didn't really heal the trauma of being out of place, he says, of feeling like he never got to experience home.
1: Then, in 2005, the Sudanese government signed a peace agreement with rebels in the South, the Sudanese People's Liberation Army. That agreement ended 22 years of bloody conflict that took 2 million lives, and the people of the South, Manasseh's people, would be given a choice in a referendum. Vote for unity or vote for independence?
3: Uh, I was so excited because that was an opportunity for us to gain independence and for me to really enjoy home. So that was the same year that I started my music.
2: Two um, of Manasseh's friends, Emmanuel Jal and Lam 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 Tungwar, both former child uh, soldiers, uh, started recording together and brought him in too.
3: And uh, we did a song called Gua. is Nuer, uh, one of the 64 tribes of South Sudan uh, dialect for good. So we talked about how good it will be if there is peace in our motherland Sudan. Well, our uh, The song was a hit. In Kenya, the sound was different. Audiences loved the
1: song's new
3: and usual sound. uh, Enjoyed the flow of the music. For
1: South South Sudanese living in exile, though, it was much more, an anthem, and the sign of new
3: possibilities. And the messaging in the song resonated with many of them. So we did the video of the song in Kakuma refugee camp, which is in the north of Kenya. By the end of the war, about uh,
1: 200,000
3: refugees
1: lived in Kakuma.
3: The majority of the refugees were from South Sudan. At the time, uh, the concert that we did there, celebrating with the refugees, got me to really be excited about uh, what's going on. And uh, I was looking forward to the time when I will participate in the referendum.
1: That vote would be faithful. South Sudan did gain its independence overwhelmingly, but Manasseh's work as an artist, as an activist, was only just beginning. We're going to hear more about that from him in a moment. But Amel, I want to ask you first about your relationship to this history. Today, you live in Charlottesville, and you have a background in conflict resolution around the world, and particularly in Africa. But you're also from Sudan, from the North. You also experienced this time period.
2: How do you remember that time? And can you tell us about the war? So I come from Khartoum, the capital city of Sudan and the capital of what used to be Sudan and South Sudan. Mm. And that's the dominant part. Historically, you know, during the colonial period, South Sudan actually was separated from Northern Sudan by the Brits. And there was a lot of investment of infrastructure and so on in Sudan and very little infrastructure and investment in the South. This bloody war, the longest war in Africa, lasted for decades since before the time of independence. The twenty-two years is just one part, but like for so long, people in South Sudan had lived as second-class citizens in their own country. Um, whether it is about the role of religion in politics and the redistribution of wealth and power, but. I just want to say that, you, you know, for many Sudanese, northern Sudanese like me, the struggle for South Sudan through the Sudan liberation movement and others was very much our fight as well.
1: There's the history of this region, the history of the conflict and South Sudan and Sudan. And then there's the experience of that history. When the moment of sort of resolution came, what was the experience of that? What did it feel like?
2: So I was certainly overjoyed. It was, you know, a long fight for peace. And that was a victory that we all celebrated. There were other things in the agreement about, you know, making unity attractive uh, for South Sudan, And I was hoping that we could make that unity attractive by beginning to do things that, you know, would make South Sudanese feel like, you know, Sudan could be for all of us. But there were so many challenges. You know, I knew that we may not stay as one country. I wasn't sure that we would be able to make that possible. But for so many of us, the political opposition, that's what we wanted. And that's what united us against the dominant regime, against the military in the North.
1: So Manasa shares some of the same historical experience that you have. And he came to the University of Virginia a few weeks ago. And before we actually interviewed him, you guys had a chance to chat over dinner. And from what I understand, you learned something pretty amazing, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, this was the first time I met Manasa, and we I lived in Nairobi for two years, and uh, we figured out that we were both at an event uh, at the same time in Nairobi. And somehow, you know, I was speaking to a friend who's a joint friend of ours. And he's like, Oh, you probably know Manasseh's sister because she was also an activist. And we had met through our work on peace and conflict issues. And it, it was amazing.
1: Well, let's play the rest of our conversation with Manasseh. And let's pick up where, Amel, you asked him about how the post war context changed the direction of his
2: life. So Manasa, with what you were hoping to do as a new nation, build something very different and address these issues of, you know, people coming together as South Sudanese, could you say what, you know, how you're still working to realize that dream of a democratic South Sudan where mm-hmm. everyone can live in equity and dignity and at the same time, what what the war has made you understand Also, in terms of where the enemies lie, because now we have a separate
3: country. So um, unfortunately, after we got uh, our independence, uh, what we hoped for, uh, the dreams of a beautiful democracy, freedom uh, that we had was not a reality. Just a short time after gaining our independence, two years later, the same uh, people who are our liberators now got us back to war. And atrocities that we saw during the, the war from 2013 to 2018 were worse than what we experienced in the 21 years of violence that we had. And you see, uh, another thing that um, you find that um, in the North, the citizens used non-violent means to bring down the dictator that we were struggling to remove violently for so many years. And the reason that got the people in the streets in Sudan are some of the things that we were fighting for. And now we in the South are still struggling uh, with uh, an oppressive regime that really uh, does not care about our rights. So at the end of the day, it got us to question like, what could we have done better?
1: There was a moment though, right after independence, where I think you felt there was a real future for South Sudan as a democratic, inclusive, prosperous nation. And I think it was at that moment that you moved back to South Sudan. Mm -hmm. What happened?
3: Well, uh, we were excited. We believe now we made it. (laughs) And um, there is a lot of hope. We are going to now build this country, a democratic country, and we'll enjoy home. But two years down the line, there was a disagreement within the ruling party about who would be the flag bearer of the party in the election that was to happen in the year 2015. And uh, that disagreement led to a violent conflict that erupted on the 15th of December, 2013. And uh, a peace process started in Addis Ababa, which led to the agreement on the resolution of conflict in South Sudan. And uh, 2016, the leader of the opposition, Dr. Riyak Machar came back to Juba and the citizens thought, now we are having a second chance. And a few months later, war broke out again. This time right at the state house. And um, after that, two weeks later, myself and 19 other artists from different art forms met uh, in Kenya. We formed Anataban, which is Arabic for I am tired. We wanted to use our art as a means to create a platform for citizens to really uh, express themselves about the frustrations that they are feeling because of this war, the disappointment that they have with the authorities, the leaders who we expected to actually lead us into a free democratic country. Anataban TABAN grew from uh, the 20 of us to more than a thousand artists right now.
2: And
3: uh, through our activities, we managed to call for a national dialogue for the leaders to get back to the negotiation table. Uh, we led in a campaign called South Sudan is Watching, where we mobilized the citizens to pay close attention to what's happening in Addis Ababa. We got to really pressure. The leaders to ensure that the agreement was what the citizens expected.
2: I wanted to draw parallels between the Anataban movement and what that was trying to convey. In Sudan, you can see movements like Grifna, Grifna for example, yeah, right? Yeah. We've had enough. That's the message across revolutions in Africa and the Middle East and what the people are fighting for, you know, wanting to bring down authoritarian regimes and do that in a non-violent way. Mm-hmm. Can you say more about the activities and the main elements in that struggle?
3: Actually, Girifna was one of the movements that inspired us. Girifna is a movement in Sudan that uh Actually, also used art started by young people who were fed up uh, with the authoritarian regime in Sudan to uh, really bring change and get the authoritarian regime to step down
2: and and you see those parallels so yes. we're united it, though we separated, mm-hmm. we became united in the fight we're fighting the same fight. the people are fighting the fight against the leadership mm-hmm. so I think that's like key
3: yeah, so when we were coming up with anataban, there were different movements across Africa that were inspiring us, because at that time we were really tired of the continuous cycle of conflict. Every citizen of South Sudan alive today has grown up during war, and that is also in Sudan. So we have really not enjoyed a time when the entire country is at peace. And Girifna is, we are fed up or also we're disgusted. It can also mean that. So we looked at the approach that they used, which was non-violent. They managed to mobilize Sudanese from different political parties, from different parts of the country to come together and um, control the narrative of what the Sudanese people really need. And uh, at the end of the day, that also led to most of the protest that is happening and uh, the removal of the dictator, Omar al-Bashir. For us in South Sudan, uh, we also wanted an end to this violent cycle. And some of the values that we decided to stand with is non-violence. And through non-violence, we... Will change the country, we will change uh, the story <laughs> of South Sudan. That's why we have been using art. And uh, right now, through our art, we manage to address issues in the country, including human rights, governance, accountability, all of this. Yeah.
1: How did the general population experience what you're doing? Were there concerts? Did you do poetry readings, murals? Like, if someone was walking through their day, how did they know you were there? And what were you doing to sort of Make yourself
3: known. So we uh, we did a lot of murals in the streets in different towns in South Sudan, dressing different topics. Uh, we did concerts, street concerts. And then we also introduced something that we called protest catwalk. So <laughs> let me explain this. So we had models and fashion designers who are part of Anataban. We created some uh, runway events. And the models will come. Yes, fashion designers will dress them. But as they do the catwalk, they have placards with different messages. At that time, they were interested in the issue of uh, sexual gender-based violence during conflict. So they will walk, pose, and the photographers will just take photos of the messages. So we tried to be as creative as possible. We also use poetry. And sometimes even comedy, especially when we know the topic is really sensitive, we get comedians to uh, uh, to crack a joke to address these sensitive topics. Um, everybody loves art. <laughs> everybody, one way or the other, it it, it will get people's attention. Uh, like there's a concert where we called it Kojeron Fadi, which is um, our saucepan is empty, you know. And it was a concert, theater, uh, art to express uh, our thoughts. And at the end of the day, every single person who came for that concert went home psyched to say something to the nearest political leader. We'd ask people to go and talk to the nearest political leader next to you and let them know how you feel. From that specific concert, we saw different initiatives by youth organizations uh, who actually tell us that through coming to uh, your concert, our minds uh, was opened and we got other creative ideas.
1: Was there a song that carried the day in the concert that everybody sang and they found it like a unifying song? And did that song carry into the protests as people marched? Was there
3: like a piece of music that brought people together? Yeah, um, at different times, yes. Uh, There was the actual song, Anna Taban, really resonated with people at that time. And then uh, there was an artist who had this song called Anna Guide. Mm -hmm. uh, Which is like... I'm remaining, I'm not moving. At that time, uh, people were giving up. Uh, Many people were just packing up their things and going. The chorus was Anamamashi. And a guide is like, um, yes, everything is difficult here, but this South Sudan, we are not leaving it to anybody. I'm not going anywhere, I'm staying. There's another artist who sang a song called Broken. Gave a history of back in the year 2011, I came back home events that happened in South World Sudan since 2011, and the bad guys gone. telling Everything his personal story of how he had hopes, and the hope keeps getting away. broken. He gets heartbroken again, and he's going to use his music to push for his dreams, that uh, South Sudan is the South Sudan that he wanted. So a lot
1: of the advocates I work with, they start with sort of a very simple idea, like save the forest, make the schools better, let's allow people to vote. They're very sort of unifying topics. And they're always surprised when the government, authoritarian government, like, comes after them, for seemingly simple, basic human rights principles. Did you face a lot of pushback as you started to argue for, like, democracy, human rights?
3: When we started, uh, they dismissed us. These are just artists. There's nothing really... They didn't see how uh, a group of artists could really threaten them. And uh, our approach was new to them. You see, uh, the people at the time that uh, they would uh, really um, harass... Were those who will do rallies or uh, conferences and workshops. That's what they were used to, press conferences. But uh, they weren't expecting that a musical concert could turn into a rally, or uh, a simple uh, mural, uh, street painting on the on the walls could uh, change uh, mindsets of the citizens or speak to the citizens. So. It is only when they realize that in our concerts, we had 5,000 or 10,000 citizens coming and they will speak up, we'll give them opportunities to speak up. Creative things like a a wall or a long canvas where we got citizens to write what they feel about the topic at hand. Uh, Like we had this concert called Haggana. Haggana is uh, Arabic for hours. So we're trying to get the citizens to take ownership of the country. So uh, in the Haggana concert, we had a festival. We had different um, platforms where citizens addressed their um, feelings on uh, different topics, uh, on corruption, on the poor uh, governance, the health system, all of this. What was an art festival turned into mini rallies. And that's when now we started getting the threats and uh, getting to uh, have issues (laughs) uh, with the authorities. So there are times when the issue does not require a concert, does not require a, a mural, but requires a protest on the street. Uh, at, uh, <laughs> at those times we organise uh, protests and even in those protests we find creative ways to ensure that the protest is interesting, exciting and people want to be part of that. Uh, Although now that one becomes a more threatening uh, approach and uh, it involves uh, arrests and all that. But uh, there are some messages that we feel that, you know, this one, for them to listen to us, we have to disrupt in a way. The vision is to be the fish from me.
2: So as a result of all this work and activism that you've been doing, you've managed to mobilize so many people. How has it impacted you personally?
3: Uh, it has been difficult. Um you know, I encountered a lot of threats. Sometimes it's um people actually coming to tell you they're people who are after your your life. Something like uh, your house being broken into. And uh, in 2021, I had stepped down from my role as the leader of the movement, Anataban. I started receiving more threats and uh, there was a crackdown on activists in South Sudan and I had to flee. I currently, I'm living in exile in Nairobi. While there, I started getting more calls from uh, activists in the country that after we left the crackdown intensified and it was now more difficult for them to do any activity. All civil society efforts were being uh, shut down. There were arrests of activists and the radio stations that reported it were also shut down. Uh, there were civil society uh, organizations who had their bank accounts frozen. So since then um, I started recording music again, <laughs> I went back to art. And uh, I recorded an album called Hagiga. Hagiga is uh, truth in Arabic, where I'm just saying my truth and what uh, I actually feel about different issues.
1: If I think about our conversation, you've always linked your music to advocacy for democracy and human rights. Um, Is that the case with this album as well?
3: Yes. um, This album is basically um, me uh, expressing myself about different issues, uh, issues of governance, also, uh, peace. What peace really means because um, we have a peace agreement in the country, but the country is not at peace. The citizens are not at peace. There's still conflict. People are still uh, being displaced due to conflict and all of that. So, uh, the song is called Peace Sign. The Peace Sign is not just these two f- fingers in the air, but there are some things that have to be seen by the citizens for them to know that we are at peace. Peace is a state where you're free free from disturbance and your mind at ease. But peace is not absence of war Where the guns are silent uh, Where there is no sound of bombs Or boom, so no sexual violence Show me your peace sign Peace sign Peace means justice. Peace means hope. Peace means no more violence, no running away from home. So show me your peace sign. Show me your peace sign. <laughs>
2: Well, the song is um, is beautiful and is a reality as well. I mean, it's not the reality that we've managed to achieve to silence the guns or stop the wars, but certainly as I walk the streets of Khartoum and in Sudan, and you see, you know, masses of people coming everywhere, despite everything, in nonviolent protests. Everybody, little kids in the street are going, doing the victory sign, the peace sign. You know, you you can't miss it. And I haven't been in South Sudan for a long time now, but I imagine that it is just the same way. So people are literally winning the fight and, you know, justice and, and peace will come because people are adamant that this is the only way to live. Um, so so it is happening. It may take a while to become a reality, but it's happening and I wish uh, peace for Sudan and South Sudan.
3: Thank you very much. I'm gonna make it. And um, after releasing my album, more young people uh, expressed their desire to work with me in my efforts and also asking if I have more initiatives they can be part of and uh, I um, registered Hagiga as a social enterprise uh, in Kenya, and I decided to use it as my advocacy platform. For now, uh, we are trying to mobilize thousands of young people to demand a peaceful election. South Sudan is meant to have its first democratic election since independence next year. So we are trying to get the South Sudanese youth across the country to demand a peaceful, Democratic election
2: with the with the elections coming and all the work that you are doing are you, you hopeful that you can go back to South Sudan?
3: What gives me hope is actually the young people, uh, the drive, the energy that the young people have, and uh, their belief uh, that South Sudan is gonna be better. The young people want to get involved. You know, South Sudan is a young country with over seventy-five percent of the population being under the age of thirty-five. So um young people want to get involved in politics, like running for seats, and young people also want to shape the direction that the country goes. So I have hope that the young people of South Sudan will make a difference. Yeah.
2: Manasa Mithyang is a South Sudanese peace activist, pro-democracy organizer, and musician. His latest album is Hagiga, Arabic for Truth.
1: Amal Garani is an international development specialist, an activist in her own right, and an affiliate of our parent organization, the Karsh Institute of Democracy.
2: You're listening to Democracy in Danger. We're part of the Democracy Group podcast network. Visit democracygroup.org to find all our sister shows. We'll be right back. I'm gonna
3: make it one day. Yeah. I'm
1: gonna fight, 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 I'm wondering if you can help me think about how Manasseh said that almost every generation has grown up with the experience of war in Sudan and South Sudan. And he's trying very hard to have like a peaceful election, if nothing else. And how do you think about the role of nonviolence at this moment in terms of supporting democratic change and democratic movements? I
2: think nonviolence is very much part of the history. And, you know, in Sudan, for example, we've brought down several military regimes without a single shot of a gun. Equally, we've had these bloody, brutal wars for decades. But nonviolence has re-emerged and there is an emphasis on nonviolence. And you'll see a lot of the women's organizations, the youth movements, certainly with very huge emphasis from the people's side on nonviolence because they see military leaders on all sides, you know, fighting these unjust wars that have led us to nowhere, but have like continued the vicious cycle of violence. As I think about
1: like the next generation who's taking on this struggle. In addition to these legacies and what the people of South Sudan and Sudan have accomplished, are there other supports that you think this generation might benefit from to help them succeed and finally reach the goals everyone's been working for?
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, there is a need for support that does not go to military action and more military action. People are calling for support for these movements that are also about justice, social justice, decent jobs, people being able to live in dignity. And that are very much a critique of hyper-capitalist, you know, solutions as well that have eroded what we used to have in terms of like health care and education. You know, look at the Arab Spring, look at the revolutions in Sudan and and, and South Sudan. People are asking for an end of the war so that they can, you know, live a life where they can benefit from the resources in a constructive way. They're like, you know, we can take on these dictators if you would just if western governments would stop supporting them for example the eu supporting the government of sudan to stop migration and the activists really feel like they're they will continue fighting that they're fighting for a just cause that they will win but that ultimately you know um, things are stacked up against them and that's why revolution has not led to all the things
0: that we're hoping for That's all for this rebroadcast of D&D. We'll be back in a fortnight with another show from last season about Palestine and Israel.
2: The latest attacks have killed at least three Palestinians, bringing the death toll to 27 in this recent escalation.
0: In the meantime, visit our webpage, dindanger.org. That's dindanger.org. That's also
2: where you can find links to all of Manasseh's terrific music and much more. And please help us reach new audiences. Share the show on social media and give us some stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.
0: This episode was produced by me, Robert Armengol, with help from Rebecca Berry, Ellie Bashkow, Ava Kretzinger-Walters, Ellis Nolan, and B. Webster.
2: Support comes from the University of Virginia's College of Arts and Sciences. The show is a project of UVA's Karsh Institute of Democracy. We belong to the Democracy Group Podcast Network, and we are distributed by the Virginia Audio Collective of WTJU Radio in Charlottesville. I'm Amal Gorani, and I'm Steve Parks. Until next time.